0: I want to ask you a question, and this is not rhetorical, I actually want a response from you. When people come into the sanctuary for the first time, what's the first thing they notice? The altar, the cross, the font, thank you Bill, the font. After we moved the font back a couple of years ago in the middle of the entryway, Someone walked into church one Sunday morning and exclaimed, it's right in the middle of everything. And they were just talking about where the font was in the sanctuary, but perhaps unbeknownst to them, they were making a very very profound point about the role of baptism in our lives. It's in the middle of everything. It's the way people are brought into the life of the body of Christ, and it's the way we live out our vocations in the world. Contra to what we often hear, baptism is not some box you have to check for God to love you or an insurance policy for your salvation. It's not about being bound to one particular denomination or congregation. Nobody gets baptized Methodist or Episcopalian or Lutheran. As we say in the Nicene Creed, we all have one baptism. To put it very simply, baptism brings us to the place where Christ is. That means that Jesus' relationship with the one he calls the Father is now your relationship. So when the voice from heaven in today's gospel reading says that Jesus is the beloved with whom God is well pleased, well, that's really what God is saying about you. If that's the only thing you take away from the sermon, that's all you really need to know about baptism. Baptism brings us to the place where Jesus is So that the words Jesus hears from God are the words you hear from God. But baptism also changes a bunch of other things, not just between us and God, but between us and God's creation. And it helps to pause here and think a little bit about how we imagine Jesus' baptism. When you heard today's gospel reading, what did you envision in your head? Many of our depictions of Jesus' baptism, the bulletin cover actually does this, envision it as an idyllic afternoon, lush grass, cool water, Jesus and John standing in the shallows of the Jordan with three tiny drops of water being dropped on Jesus' head. Baptism is safe, it's pleasant, it's comforting. We imagine Jesus' baptism like Sunday in the park with John the Baptist. And that isn't necessarily bad, but the way we think about Jesus' baptism shapes the way we think about our own baptisms. It's not a coincidence that in many churches, baptism is thought of mostly as a life passage for babies. And so the font gets taken out when there's a baby to be baptized, and then it gets put back in the coat closet when there's not. Someone actually called me a few months ago and said that they wanted to have their baby baptized. But they got busy with other things, like having a baby. And now the baby was three, so they were too old to be baptized. You can't baptize toddlers. Which isn't true. You're never too old to be baptized. But if all you knew about baptism came from the banners we hang up in churches and the cards we buy at CVS, it's a pretty reasonable assumption to make. The Eastern Orthodox Church has a very different way of picturing Jesus' baptism. In many of their icons, Jesus is shown standing, not in the shallows, but in the deep, with the water rising up to his neck. And around Jesus' body is not crisp, cool, Evian water that was poured into the Jordan. No, there's fish, serpents, sea monsters. Jesus is plunging into the abyss below. And at first, the icons are a little disorienting to look at you think, what exactly am I supposed to be paying attention to in this picture? But they remind us that Jesus' baptism is not about a little bit of water being poured on his head. It's not about checking some box before he can start his public ministry. It's about Jesus bringing the design of God's great love into the chaos of the world. And if we believe that baptism brings us to where Jesus is, that means our baptisms can bring us into situations we find confusing and problematic, distressing and chaotic. If you intend to live out your baptism, it may end up taking you to places you'd rather not go. Now, sometimes our response to meeting Jesus in the chaos of the world is fear. In the most recent issue of The Atlantic, there was a fascinating story about how one religious community has responded to that uncertainty. The Society of St. Pius X, which is an order of Catholic priests, practices a pre-Vatican II brand of Catholicism that would have been typical about 100 years ago. Has anyone heard of the Society of St. Pius X? It's not exactly a household name. And this order is not so much conservative as it is anti-modern. Mass is said in Latin on Sundays, Any potential temptations to sin, including swimming pools and country music, are to be avoided. And women are expected to stop working when they have kids. And it is when they have kids, not if they have kids. Now, as you can imagine, those beliefs put them out of step with most of American society. And many of their members found it difficult to live in communities where they had to constantly negotiate how to be faithful. So the society decided about four decades ago they would retreat away from the world and set up a new community in St. Mary's, Kansas, population 2,500. The population of the town has doubled since they began arriving, and every one of the six Sunday Masses requires overflow rooms because there's so many people. The society's created an ideological and religious sanctuary, no swimming pools, no country music, no mass said in English. And of course, as an outsider, you can kind of see the appeal. You don't have to interact with people who don't understand your beliefs. You don't have to explain things to your neighbors. You don't have to be around anything you don't want to be around. But there's also something lost. They made it easier to follow the rules of their religion, but they made it much harder to live out their faith. It's hard to follow Jesus if you view other people as a threat. It's hard to live out your baptism if you won't leave your neighborhood. And it's nearly impossible to care for the world God loves if you don't want the world to change you in some way. But sometimes our response to that chaos and uncertainty of the world is faith. Our reading about Peter from Acts today is one of those stories. Peter is an apostle, he's been called by God to go out on mission. And Peter thinks, this is great, love to be in mission, love to tell people about Jesus, until he meets this man named Cornelius, and he has to decide whether Cornelius can become part of this new community. On the one hand, Cornelius prays often, gives to the poor, wants to be a part of this community. On the other hand, Cornelius is what? He's a Gentile, he's not Jewish. And at this point, there's no rules for how or whether Gentiles can come into the, comu- into the community. There's one or two kind of token Gentiles floating around, but now we're talking about a whole household coming into the church. So, what's Peter going to do? He's in a tough spot. You follow Jesus into the world, and suddenly you're not just spending time with people like you. You're at the edge of your own understanding and comfort zone, you're not in Kansas anymore. And eventually, Peter receives a vision that God can make clean the unclean, and Cornelius gets baptized with his family. But what's really interesting is the first thing Cornelius says when he, that Peter says when he meets Cornelius. Peter says, I truly understand that God shows no partiality. And you read the story, and you think, does Peter actually understand? And the answer, of course, is no. Peter has no idea what to do in this situation. If you look at the verb tense, that's actually what's going on. This is something that's actively happening. So we'd be better off reading Peter's statement as, truly I'm beginning to understand that God shows no partiality. That's really different. And that's good news for us because when we live out our baptisms, when we follow Jesus into the waters of the deep, things often aren't clear. They're often murky. We can't see exactly what the right thing to do is. And sometimes we have to make decisions without knowing exactly how things are going to turn out. But Peter trusts that God is capable of doing something beyond his own knowledge. You know, people often refer to this as the story of Cornelius. But it's really the conversion of Peter. Because Peter is the one who follows God's call into a difficult situation and trusts that God can meet him there. In fact, Peter's faith grows precisely when he steps beyond the bounds of what's known and what's comfortable. The thing that seems like an insurmountable barrier in the mind of Peter turns out to be nothing at all in the eyes of God. And that's really what baptism is all about. It's about being brought to the place where Jesus is. Not to the banks of some storybook river, not to St. Mary's, Kansas, but to the places that are complicated, intense, unclear, and murky. We don't always know where Jesus is taking us, but truly, we're beginning to understand. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.